What's up, everybody? This is Roman Gennaro, host of the Empire Sports Talk podcast, and we are back for a new episode. Going to try to keep this one a little bit shorter for you since we've gone long the last couple of weeks. There, there are just three main things I want to talk about. First, it is conference championship weekend. It is Saturday as we're recording this, so tomorrow we will find out who goes to the Super Bowl in Las Vegas, whether it be San Francisco 49ers, Detroit Lions, Baltimore Ravens, or Kansas City Chiefs. I gotta say, if the Kansas City Chiefs make it to a Super Bowl, despite all of the trouble they've had this year, it is it will be both impressive and maddening that they still find a way to make it. That being said, I'm so excited to see what happens. And just just from a rooting standpoint, I will probably be rooting for whoever comes out of the NFC, just because... I I have long I've been a longtime fan of Kyle Shanahan since his time with Atlanta, and I think the story that the Detroit Lions are are carving out this season and turning their entire organization around in a matter of years with Dan Campbell is just absolutely magical. But I am so excited for the conference championship to kick off tomorrow. It's Saturday as we're recording this, and it's going to be hard not having football for for a couple of weeks after that, but then it's finally going to be Super Bowl Sunday. I I did see a petition to make it Super Bowl Saturday in the future, which logistically I would very much appreciate, but as my dad pointed out to me, Super Bowl Saturday just doesn't have the same ring to it. It just doesn't. So we'll see if that ever happens. Logistically, it makes good sense for those of us that have to work on Monday morning, but it just doesn't sound the same. Anyway, let's get to the meat of our episode. First, I want to congratulate the three newest members of the Major League Baseball Hall of Fame in Cooperstown, Todd Helton, Joe Maurer, and Adrian Beltre. These were three players that I grew up with. Joe Maurer, in particular, was my favorite player for years in Major League Baseball. So happy for all three of these guys to make it. Uh, Joe Maurer being one of the best offensive catchers of all time. Adrian Beltre being one of the most exciting players we've seen on a baseball field, and Todd Helton being the picture of loyalty. The thing I want to talk about here, because I want to zero in on one person in particular, is Todd Helton. Because even before he was voted in, he's on the ballot, he's been on the ballot, I think this was his sixth year, everybody was talking about, you know, maybe he shouldn't get in, or it would be iffy if he got in. And this has been a conversation for a few years, not... Todd Helton, because everybody wants to talk about it, he played 17 years for the Colorado Rockies. And Colorado is famously a hitter's park because of the high altitude. The ball goes a little bit further. That's why that's why center field to uh center field in Colorado. Coors Field is dimensionally the biggest field in Major League Baseball, but it doesn't play that way. And everybody's like, oh, just make it it deeper to center field or whatever like it's already the deep i think it's like almost 440 to center field uh but because of the because of the thin air the ball goes a little bit further and everybody thinks that's a reason everybody thinks that's a reason to keep todd helton out of the hall and they're like look at the splits between his his home average and his numbers and his road numbers and so i said okay so i went and looked at it no one's denying that there's a there's an advantage to playing in Colorado. Nobody's denying that. Road players love playing up there because they get to, you know, 
you see offensive explosions. It's not it's not very often you see two to one games in Colorado. It's just not. But the fact of the matter is, is that when somebody steps in a box, whether home or a ro- or road, they still have to produce. And so that's what I, what I was looking for when I looked at Todd Helton's numbers. And and there was no denying that there was a bit of a bump in all in every category in Colorado. And yeah, he played more games in Colorado, but not by that much. It was surprisingly even throughout his career. I guess not surprisingly, eight, 81 home games, 81 road games. Um, but what I want to talk about now is that, yes, Todd Helton's home numbers for his 17-year career in Colorado, 345 average, almost 1,400 hits, 227 homers, 859 RBIs. Very good. Now, but like I said, everybody wants to talk about how drastic his numbers are from home to to road. And as I said, there is a difference. But Todd Helton had a 287 average, 1,125 hits, 142 home runs, 547 RBIs on the road in his career. It's less. I'll give you that. But what I want to zero in on here is the 287 road average. Todd Helton in his career as a whole had a 316 career average, had 369 homers, and almost 1,700 RBIs. That is a Hall of Fame resume. And everybody wants to talk about, oh, but the, but the splits, but the splits. 287 is his career average. So, first of all, Todd Helton chose to play in Colorado his, his whole career. It wasn't because, oh, the hitting is better here. It wasn't because, you know, I can get better numbers here. Because if that was the case, he probably should have had 500 homers. But Todd Helton is all, has always been about loyalty. Todd Helton was born and raised in Knoxville, Tennessee. And then he went to the University of Tennessee, which is in Knoxville. And then he was drafted out of the university. He was drafted out of high school, but chose to go to the University of Tennessee. Then he was drafted out of college by the Colorado Rockies, a new franchise at the time, and chose to stay loyal to them for his entire 17-year career. We shouldn't punish him for that. He shouldn't be punished for choosing loyalty over his potential Hall of Fame resume in 20 years. That's a that's a ridiculous thing to do. Everybody's like, oh, he should have played somewhere else. If he'd put up those numbers somewhere else, it would have been different. If you look at his road numbers, you know, whatever, it's different. Yeah, it's different. That's geography. Todd Helton wanted to suit up every day for the city he loved and the fans that loved him back. It wasn't about, oh, the ball's going to fly farther. There's a reason that Todd Helton was the first Technically now there's three, but he he was the first Colorado Rocky to have his number retired. I actually don't know if if Larry Walker's was technically retired first or Todd Helton's, but there was a reason why when Todd Helton was playing, there was no numbers up there in Colorado. Now there's three, but there's a reason why when Todd Helton was playing in Colorado, except for Jackie Robinson, the retired number wall was empty. Todd Helton is the Colorado Rockies. He's the longest tenured Colorado Rocky in history. And for the last few years of his career, he got to share this, the city with his college friend and former fellow quarterback. They shared a quarterback room at the University of Tennessee. 
Peyton Manning. But I don't think we should hold it against Todd Helton that he that he chose loyalty in his career and he chose a city he loved because oh everything's a little bit inflated in Colorado. That's just the way it is. It's easier to hit in Colorado. It's a little bit harder to hit in San Diego. It's, you know, you you lose a lot of home runs to left field in Houston because of the high wall that sometimes gets ruled as doubles. It every park has its thing. We don't hold it against Yankees players. We we don't hold it against left-handed Yankees players who only have to hit it 314 to get it out of right field. We don't hold it against guys who choose to stay with the Red Sox for for having it 310 to left field or 3 302 to right field, by the way, both of which are the two shortest dimensions in Major League Baseball. We don't hold it against those players for having those advantages. The Yankees he have even come out and said, Brian McCann has even come out and said that, that when he got to the Yankees after leaving the Atlanta Braves, Brian McCann was an up-the-middle or go-the-other-way hitter for most of his career. He gets to New York, and he admitted, oh, they tried to change me into a pull hitter because I was left-handed. And that that 314 wall was real close. We don't hold it against Yankees players or Red Sox players for, for having shorter dimensions. As I said, the Colorado Rockies Coors Field has bigger dimensions because they're doing the best they can to counteract the advantage that they can't help. They can't help the air. It's the way it is. So why penalize a loyal player for staying? I know I, I know I, I know I give a lot of flack to the player mobility in basketball specifically, jumping around to try and win championships. Todd Todd Helton could have done that. I'm sure he had offers. He chose to stay in Colorado because he loved it. It's like, oh, the only reason he's good, the only reason he's a Hall of Famer is because he played in Colorado. Well, okay, let's look at that. Outside of hitting in his career, he did win a batting title in 2000. And you're like, oh, of course he did because he, and he won multiple silver sluggers. Three or four, I believe. I think it was four. He won multiple silver sluggers. It's like, oh, well, of course he did, Colorado. But if Colorado was really that big of an advantage, then why did he only win one title? Why was it not five, six, seven? Guys like Barry Bonds have more than that. And nobody's talking about advantages in, in advantages in San Francisco or Pittsburgh. If people forget about Pittsburgh, he, he was an MVP and an all-star in Pittsburgh before he ever got to San Francisco. But, so let's talk about Todd Helton's resume outside of hitting the baseball. Five-time All-Star, three-time Golden Glove Award winner. He, he, he was the 2000 um, Hank Aaron Award winner, which selected the top hitter in each league as voted on by fans and media members. So people that are watching every game and had an opportunity to take into account, oh, He's got an un a quote-unquote unfair advantage by playing in Colorado. Still could have held it against him like some are trying to hold it hold against him getting into the Hall of Fame. Could have held against him. Oh, he played in Colorado. No, they still voted him the Hank Aaron Award winner. The 1995 Dick Hauser Award winner, which is the National College Baseball Player of the Year. 
Todd Helton was always great. He was the eighth pick in the 1995 MLB draft and got to the major leagues in just two years, which by today's standards, it's like, yeah, that's pretty, that's pretty standard for top, for top picks. But back then they took a little longer. You didn't have, you didn't have a lot of 20 year olds in the major leagues in, in 1997. Um, and not every, not every team in the Rockies minor league system was in Colorado. You had Asheville, North Carolina and, and spots in the Southeast spots all over the United States. So Todd Helton hit in Tennessee. He hit in the minor leagues and he got to Colorado and he still hit. And he was drafted in high. He was drafted out of high school in Tennessee hit there too. So is there an advantage in Colorado? Yeah. But did it make Todd Helton a Hall of Famer? No. Todd Helton was a great baseball player before he ever set foot in Colorado. He, you know, we talk about Jim Harbaugh as a coach winning everywhere he goes. Todd Helton won everywhere he went as far as hitting. Now he didn't he didn't win in Colorado. He didn't win a World Series, he only made the playoffs twice and got to a World Series in 07. But everywhere that Todd Helton stepped into the batter's box, he hit the ball. He did what he was supposed to do. And I, I, I want to take one more look at those road stats that everybody said are so skewed because he's not in Colorado. 287. 287 career average away from Colorado. And I know... I know that because of advanced stats, everybody wants to devalue the average and that the average doesn't matter. And I've had many Twitter conversations about it. I, I still think that's a dumb argument. I think when your job is to get go up to the plate and hit the ball and put the ball in play, the average is still the most rudimentary way to be like, did he do it? Yeah, he did it. Um... I think I think saying average doesn't matter is com is coming from, from the same people that say strikeouts don't matter and I don't and I don't think it's valid at all. Um but let's look at Todd Helton's 287 road average. Now now two two places I looked said 287 both baseball reference and stat muse said 287, fangraph said 285. But we know it's in that area. I'm going to say 287. So 287 career on the road. That's a really good average. Um, Ted Williams, one of the greatest hitters, maybe the greatest hitter ever to play baseball, said baseball's the only baseball's the only sport where the only profession baseball's the only profession where you can fail seven out of ten times and be considered great. Seven out of ten times, okay, that's a 300 average. That's only 13 points higher than than Todd Helton's road average. So by so by Ted Williams' own admission, three out of ten is considered great, and Todd Helton is right there. And a 287 road average is one point higher than the career average of fellow 2024 inductee, Adrian Beltre. 
who, for his entire career, hit 286. And again, that's just Todd Helton's road average. His home average is 345. His career average is 316. So we still want to talk about the splits and how drastic it is. Okay, well, but, but it's drastic toward the greatness. It's drastic toward being higher at home. It's not, oh, he had a, he, he had a, two, he had a 300 average at home and a 250 average on the road. That's not it at all. You're just looking at the overinflated 345 and being like, oh, obviously he's not a Hall of Famer because it's 345. But his road average, again, 287. So let's look at the history of the Hall of Fame. Did you know there are three players currently in the Hall of Fame who had a career average less than 260? 260. One of whom, those three players are Harmon Killebrew, Rabbit, Marinville, and Ray Shelk. That first guy, Harmon Killebrew. If you went out and asked 50 current players, 50 GMs, 50 fans, and 50 owners, 200 people, is Harmon Killebrew a Hall of Famer? Should he be? Because he obviously is one. Should Harmon Killebrew be a Hall of Famer? I don't think you could find 10 of those 200 people that would say, no, he shouldn't be a Hall of Famer. And yet, his career average was sub-260. Todd Helton, again, career average, 287. So are we going to penalize Todd Helton? Should we have penalized Todd Helton for being loyal to a team his whole career? Again, he was loyal to his hometown when he chose college. And then when he was drafted eighth overall by the Colorado Rockies, he stayed loyal there for almost 20 years. He could have gone and won. He could have gone to the Dodgers. He could have gone to the Braves. He could have gone anywhere else and tried to win. He didn't do it. He stayed home. He stayed in Colorado. He made it his home. And they love him for it. Because so many people that have gone through the Rockies organization have left him behind for a chance to win. Todd Helton said, you are my fans. You are my home. I'm staying. And he shouldn't be penalized for that. Should we penalize Adrian Beltre for playing on four different teams? Absolutely not. Is the Hall of Fame going to penalize Kevin Durant for, for chasing titles with the Warriors or, or LeBron James for going to the Heat? No. So why, why should you penalize a player who chose not to do that and chose to be loyal and still put up numbers? So I know this whole argument is like, well, why are you arguing it? He made the Hall of Fame. Yeah, he made the Hall of Fame. There were many out there for several years that said he shouldn't, that, 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 that he'd be a fringe that he'd be a fringe Hall of Famer because of that, the drastic splits, home and road. But as I said, yeah, the splits are pretty drastic. It's a, it's a, you know, 60 point swing between his home average and his road average. But again, that home average is so high. His road average is still really, really good. It's great. But his home average is so high. Again, if it was the road average is way down here in the dumps and the, the home average is is good, then obviously not. But the road average is not in the dumps. The road average is at Hall of Fame level. 
the home average is, is just that much higher. It's a stupid argument. He's in the Hall of Fame where he should always have been. Congratulations to Todd Helton, as, as well as your two counterparts, Adrian Beltre and Joe Maurer. Adrian Beltre, as I said, played for four different teams, Seattle, Texas, Boston, and Los Angeles, not in that order. 286 average, 3,166 hits, 477 home runs, and 1,700 RBIs. Great career for Adrian Beltre. He was one of the most fun players to watch. He he often had some antics whenever teammates would try to mess with him. He would he would respond quite quite hilariously. Uh, Joe Maurer, as I said, one of my favorite players of all time growing up. Arguably one of the best offensive catchers of all time. He's only the third catcher in history to be elected to the Hall of Fame on his first ballot. Johnny Bench and Pudge Rodriguez are the other two. He's, as I said, one of the greatest offensive catchers of all time. He's first all-time in batting average by a catcher. Mike Piazza's in second. And and the gap is 15 points. He's also second in OPS. He he didn't have the power output of Mike Piazza or or Pudge Rodriguez. He didn't have the longevity of Johnny Bench. He didn't have the the postseason success of a Yogi Berra. But when he was there, he made a difference. And that was that's another guy that chose to stay home and be with with a team his whole career. The difference for Mauer is that he's from Minnesota, so he chose his hometown team. His hometown team chose him and he chose to stay. But Joe Mauer's athletic ability, even off the baseball field, is absurd. He struck out I think once in high school as a hitter. And and I remember when, when the twins elected him to their Hall of Fame, they brought out the one pitcher that struck him out. I thought that was a funny moment. In in football, he was like Gatorade player of the year as a senior and turned down a scholarship to play quarterback at Florida State for Bobby Bowden. And he was also a superstar basketball player. I think he got he had he earned a scholarship to Gonzaga and turned that down as well. So Joe Maurer was always an athletic freak. He was one of my favorite players to watch. And now he's in the Hall of Fame with these two other great players. So congratulations to Todd Helton, Adrian Beltre, and Joe Maurer on being the latest members of the Hall of Fame and forever enshrined in Cooperstown. You guys deserve it. Moving on to the NFL. As I mentioned, it is conference championship weekend. But I don't want to talk about the games because, as I mentioned on a previous podcast, is that, you know, this this gets recorded on Saturday or Sunday and then the stuff goes out throughout the week. And so sometimes if I if I make predictions for games on Saturday and then the the clip goes out on Thursday, the game's over. What does it matter? So I, I, I don't really want to make a prediction as of yet for for games. I will make a Super Bowl prediction um, when the matchup is set, I will say on our YouTube channel right now, earlier, before the season started, I made my predictions as to what I think the final standings would be and who would make the playoffs. And we did a series of Madden simulations based on those predictions. And that ended up with it being Kansas City defeating 
Philadelphia in a rematch of last season. Obviously, that's not going to happen. But so I took the final four teams and I actually ran simulations again. And those are up on our on the Empire Sports Talk YouTube channel right now. One of them is already up. The other one, I think, goes up here in just 30 minutes from the time that I'm recording this. So by the time this is out, those predictions will be up on our YouTube channel. Check them out. And I will do the same thing for the for the actual Super Bowl matchup, as well as making my prediction for the game. But until then, we'll we'll let the games play out as they will tomorrow. Um, but what I want to talk about is that there are only two teams. There are only two teams left in the NFL with head coaching vacancies, and three of the hirings stuck out to me this week for multiple reasons. The first being Jim Harbaugh. It's the worst kept secret in 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 sports that Jim Harbaugh was going to go back to the NFL, and that the Chargers just made the most sense. I've said it multiple times on the podcast. Jim Harbaugh is something of a QB whisperer, and Justin Herbert has not had the benefit of good coaching in his NFL career. He is a, as I've said, supremely talented quarterback, and he'll he'll finally have the coach that can help him get there. And I think. If the, I think the pressure is now on the Kansas City Chiefs. The pressure is now on the Kansas City Chiefs as well as Sean Payton because we've seen weakness from the Kansas City Chiefs this year. Yes, they are still on the verge of the Super Bowl. But Travis Kelsey hasn't been the same. They don't have reliable receivers. And Patrick Mahomes has gotten very, very frustrated with it. And Andy Reid could potentially be thinking about, about walking away sooner rather than later. But now, Jim Harbaugh is teaming up with Justin Herbert. Jim Harbaugh signs a five-year contract. Justin Herbert just got his big extension this offseason. So they'll be in Los Angeles together for a long time. This puts pressure on Kansas City to stay on top of the AFC West going into next season. So that So that is a team to keep an eye on as the AFC West just got a lot tougher. Brian Callahan was named the head coach of the Tennessee Titans, which I think is an interesting fit because you, you know you look at you look at the history of a team and in your mind they become one thing. Like the the Steelers despite having Terry Bradshaw and Lynn Swan and Antonio Brown and a lot of those guys throughout the franchise Steelers are a defensive franchise. The Ravens are a defensive franchise. And the Seattle Seahawks did defensive franchise. And so you get these these labels kind of in your head. And to me, and I don't know why, Tennessee was always a defensive franchise, even though in the shorter time of their franchise history, all of their key players have always been on offense. Steve McNair, Eddie George, Kevin Dyson, DeAndre Hopkins, A.J. Brown, Derrick Henry. Like, their rosters tell you, oh, we've always been an offensive franchise. But the last few years, even when they were making the playoffs behind Derrick Henry, because they were getting average quarterback play from Ryan Tannehill and because 
they didn't have the best receivers outside of AJ Brown and now DeAndre Hopkins. The fact that they're in the playoffs, you kind of attribute it to, oh, you know, defense. And then the fact that Mike Rabel's been their head coach, who's a defensive head coach. And so the Titans hiring Brian Callahan initially to me was a little bit strange because I've talked on this podcast about, about fit. And, but then I thought about it and I was like, well, historically, as I said, Tennessee has been offensive. They got to the Super Bowl with Kevin Dyson, Eddie George, Steve McNair. They have Derrick Henry, who is who has not officially yet walked away. So this could have been a move to try to keep Derrick Henry. And Will Levis appears to be the quarterback of the future. Um, so why would they not bring in Brian Callahan, who has been a quarterback's coach in the past, who is, has been the offensive coordinator for the Cincinnati Bengals, who made a Super Bowl two years ago, and who has in his career worked with quarterbacks like Peyton Manning, Matthew Stafford, and Derek Carr, along with Joe Burrow. So, absolutely, with all that in, in mind, this is a perfect fit to try to bring Will Levis along to the level they hope he can be. Because Brian Callahan won a Super Bowl with Peyton Manning as the quarterback's coach of the Denver Broncos. And he he helped Derek Carr get to the playoffs with the then Oakland Raiders. And he was the, the longtime quarterback's coach in Detroit with Matthew Stafford. So Brian Callahan, to me, is, is, is a really good fit for Tennessee, and I'm excited. That, that, the future of that division is very, very bright and very, very tough. Brian Callahan hoping to bring along Will Levis and keep Derrick Henry in Tennessee, C.J. Stroud, D'Amico Ryans in Houston, Trevor Lawrence, and the team that that, that, that is building in Jacksonville, and Anthony Richardson coming back healthy, teaming up with Jonathan Taylor and Shane Steichen in Indianapolis. That division is going to be a dogfight for years to come, and it's very exciting. Raheem Morris was named the head coach of the Atlanta Falcons. He spent the last couple of years as the defensive coordinator for the Rams, working with guys like Aaron Donald. And this this makes a lot of sense to me as well, because even though Raheem Morris's pedigree is in defense, he, he did spend some time as a wide receivers coach earlier in his coaching career. He's been a head coach in within that division before. He, he was once the head coach of the Tampa Bay Buccaneers. And I think like, I, I think he does fit. I mentioned that I would have liked to see Ben Johnson named the head coach in Atlanta, but I think Raheem Morris is a really good coach. And I think Raheem Morris fits the mold in Atlanta and what they're trying to do. As long as Raheem gets his quarterback, which again, even though I think it's the right move to keep Justin Fields and build around him, I think the bears are going to draft Caleb. Caleb Williams, and so I think Atlanta is the best fit for Justin Fields, and assuming they get their quarterback, bringing Raheem Morrison, who has experience on the offensive side of the ball, and Atlanta having a lot of young receivers, but who is a defensive coach, can shore up that defense, which was the 
outside of quarterback was the weak point of the Atlanta Falcons that everybody was all was looking at that offense all year and they were thinking oh man if they just if they just solve the quarterback they're they're humming so nobody has there's not a lot of question about the offense outside of the quarterback position so bringing in a defensive head coach to shore up that side of the ball I think is a really really smart move uh, on Atlanta's behalf and even if even if Chicago holds on to Justin Fields there, there, there are some good options out there to fill that quarterback spot. Kirk Cousins and Russell Wilson come to mind. There are, all, there are also going to be quite a few good young prospects in the draft. It's, it's a very uh, top-heavy quarterback draft. We'll see what Atlanta decides to do as far as the quarterback is concerned. But I think Raheem Morris is going to do really good things in Atlanta for years to come. These head coach fillings mean that Mike Vrabel and Bill Belichick are still without jobs in the NFL for this coming season, which is surprising to me, considering that one of them is one of the greatest coaches of all time, and one of them is a head coach that did a really good job in Tennessee and probably shouldn't have been fired, and everybody was assumed that he'd be one of the hottest names for the head coaching jobs. And neither one of them, with with two openings left, have gotten the job. Atlanta was the only team that Bill Belichick interviewed with. And I felt like them hiring Raheem Morris was sending a message to the way that Bill Belichick reportedly wants to run a franchise. So it so it's less likely for him. For Mike Vrabel, the only two teams that he has spoken with have been the Falcons and the Carolina Panthers, both of which have filled their head coaching jobs. Uh, the Carolina job was was filled by Brian Canales. Uh, pardon me if I get that name wrong, but I think that's that's how it's pronounced. Both of the teams that Mike Rabel interviewed with have filled their vacancies. And so either Mike Rabel's not going to get a job or the Commanders or Seahawks are going to bring him in late. And I've said this before, I think that Mike Vrabel would be a good fit for either one of those teams, but I do think the Seattle Seahawks vacancy screams Mike Vrabel, and the fact that that Seattle did not jump at an opportunity to interview him is is rather surprising. I've said I've said on a previous podcast that I believe that Mike Vrabel could bring back Legion of Boom 2.0. They already have the offensive weapons that Mike Vrabel really wasn't able to put together in Tennessee. If he comes in and shores up that defense, because Mike Rabel was a heck of a linebacker in his own right, I think it just makes so much sense to me. But there has been a lot of surprises this offseason in the NFL and college football, so what do I know? But Mike Rabel to Seattle makes a lot of sense, and it's surprising to me they haven't even interviewed him for the job. Um, But it's looking increasingly like Mike Rabel and Bill Belichick will both be without head coaching jobs this coming year for, for Bill Belichick, that looks more like retirement for Mike Rabel. I don't see why he couldn't get a defensive coordinator job like that so easily. Uh, But those are starting to fill up too. So we'll see, we'll see what ends up happening there. The last thing I want to touch on is a specific story from the NBA that was rather shocking to me. And it is that 
the Milwaukee Bucks parted ways with their first-year head coach, Adrian Griffin, after a 30-13 and start and being second in the East. You heard me right. 30-13. and Second-best record in the Eastern Conference. And the reasoning behind this, as so we're told, is because the Bucks are not a good defensive team. Okay, they're not. All right, that's fine. But they're a good enough defensive team to overcome their shortcomings because they're still winning games. They're still 30 and 13. It's not like the 21 and 22 like like the Lakers were last week through through 43 games. That's this to me this I don't think this was fair cuz it cuz it's a first year head coach. So, he hasn't had time to install all of what he has in mind. He hasn't had time to build a culture, build a build a an identity. It's been half a season. Yes, Giannis is a former defensive player of the year and a four-time all-defense first team player. But outside of him, you have Damian Lillard who's an offensive superstar. You traded away your your best defender in Drew Holiday. So even before the season started, really, you got worse on defense. So instead of trying to fix it via trade or something, it's like, oh, the head coach, the head coach is gone, despite a thirty and thirteen record. But Milwaukee does this. I I didn't necessarily agree with them firing Coach Bud after he won a championship for them, but they did that to bring in Adrian Griffin, and they got rid of him despite a good record. Now, the fact that they went out and immediately hired Doc Rivers tells me one thing, is that they wanted to hire Doc Rivers before the season. Doc Rivers didn't appear to be interested. But now, the guy that they wanted all along was suddenly interested, and they fired the guy who had done the job, which is not fair. It is not a fair thing for Adrian Griffin to be fired when he's doing his job well. Yeah, they're they're ranked 26th out of 30 teams in opponent shooting percentage, but it's a shooter's league, so it is what it is. And as far as defensive rating and defensive efficiency, are they good? No, but they rank 19th. That's in the middle. It's not like Milwaukee was the worst defensive team in the world. They, to me, it just screams that they wanted their guy and he was suddenly interested and it came at the expense of a first-year head coach that was doing his best work. And to me, that's kind of shameful. Not to mention, and I love Doc Rivers as a coach and and I know Doc Rivers' family. I went to high school with his son. I love Doc Rivers, but Doc Rivers' track record in the playoffs, he may not be able to get you where you want to go. Look at his track record and history of Game 7s. He may not get you where you want to go. So I think it's I think it's kind of a shameful move from Milwaukee to be like, instead of, instead of saying, we'll work on this and we'll change it, let's fire the guy that got us to 30 and 13. It's this, it's this hookup culture that we live in. I know that has nothing to do with basketball. But like society seems to fear commitment of any kind. So anytime there is any kind of bump in the road, whether it be a relationship or a job or 
a basketball team having a weakness, they say, oh, it's time to cut and run. Nobody wants to commit. Nobody wants to earn it. Nobody wants to work for it. And this was, a, this was an instance of the Bucks overreacting instead of trying to fix it. And I think it's shameful. That's all I have for you today. This is Roman Gennaro, host of Empire Sports Talk Podcast. It's a great day to go want to know. Enjoy the conference championships this weekend, and we'll see you next time. Don't forget to like and subscribe for more content like this, and we'll see you on the next episode.